Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Welcome to the Sickle Cycle Podcast, a monthly conversation about sickle cell disease. I'm your host, Charlotte Curtis. Well, welcome everyone to our March episode. We are so excited to have Dr. Adrian Scott, who is a chief at William I Institute at Johns Hopkins. Um, she also is a retina specialist, assistant professor, and we are just so excited to have you here. Um, so I wanted to start and ask you what prompted your interest in the medical field? Um, well, you know what? It's a great question. And thank you again for the, the invitation to, to, to be here and, and chat with you today, Charlotte. Um, so I, I always was interested in medicine and, um, you know, starts from, you know, interest in science and then, um, you know, you want to do something, this is the, the cliche, but you want to do something to make an impact and help change people's lives and use science to do that. So medicine was something that I thought about from, from an early age. And uh, so I kind of fell into ophthalmology because I thought I was going to be a pediatrician. Um, I really liked kids. I really liked the science of it all. And I wanted to be a doctor for kids. Um, but then somewhere along my medical training, kind of very early on, I really started to like, I got early exposure to surgery and surgical subspecialties. And I thought, gosh, whatever I specialize in, I really want to do something where I can do surgery. And ophthalmology kind of brought together all those things, kind of an ability to help people. You could treat people of all ages. You could do surgery. And it's really special and just a gift to be able to help someone keep or maintain, you know, what's most important to people. You ask them, it's their vision. They say, I can lose anything else, but my vision, I got to have it. It's your independence, your ability to take care of yourself, your ability to uh, make a living, you know? So it's really an honor to have the ability and the training to at least be a part in that and help people to maintain their sight. You know, you being my physician, I can appreciate your vision and also appreciate just the care and quality care that you provide, which is so important. And so I want to talk about your journey, um, really what led you to Johns Hopkins, but also what led you to work in the sickle cell community specifically. Oh, great question, Charlotte. You know, um, so I'm a born and raised, uh, well, I was born in D.C., raised in, in Maryland. I was born in, um, in D.C. And, and spent all my years growing up in Prince George's County, Lanham native, and uh, went to college down at Duke, did my training down there at Duke in North Carolina, and medical school in Philadelphia. So I've kind of gone up and down the East Coast. And when it came time to pick where we were going to settle down, um, you know, my husband's born and raised from Baltimore and, you know, my parents are still in the DC area. So it's one of these things where I figured, and it's nice, you know, when you're starting a family, it's really nice to be able to be at least near home or, or where, you know, you can be, you know, not necessarily right next to, but really close by relatives enough in your support system as you have your family. It's really, really wonderful. So, um, and you know, my, again, my husband being from Baltimore kind of seemed like, um, right as I was finishing my training, Wilmer was looking for retina specialists. And I thought it was just the best of all worlds. I can be at one of these, the best eye hospitals, the best hospital in general, but still also be somewhat near where I grew up in my family. Um, and I've really appreciated the opportunity again, as we have three, three kids now, and it's wonderful to be near 
you know, my parents, you know, grandparents, and it's just such a help for, you know, um, to have the kids grow up with, uh, with their extended family. Um, so that's kind of how I got into Wilmer. And, you know, I didn't start out really looking and, or, or thinking about uh, becoming a sickle cell retinopathy researcher. It's something that I was just kind of fortunate to, to find, or, or it found me. Um, I, um, you know, one of the pioneers in sickle cell research is named Dr. Mort Goldberg, and he did so much with sickle cell retinopathy research through, you know, the 70s and 80s, and he was the former chair at Wilmer, went to University of Illinois, Chicago for a while, had like a whole sickle cell retinopathy center, and he really, he, he did so much with the condition he named the, the name, the staging after him, it's called the Goldberg staging. So, you know, we knew about this, you know, all along, you know, we had learned it all about my training. Um, and so when I got here to Wilmer, he had stopped seeing patients. He had retired somewhat clinically. And so I think they kind of said, well, who is brand new and just needs patients to see? And I, my schedule is empty. And, you know, it's one of these things where I was the perfect candidate to take on some of these newer patients as Dr. Goldberg was retiring. And, um, you know, but I saw an opportunity because, you know, of all the work that he did in the 70s and 80s, which was amazing work, a lot of it really holds up to this day. So much has changed with the innovation and the different sorts of imaging that we have and the different treatments that we have. And I was trying to, I saw an opportunity to, on a number of levels, so to bring the work that Dr. Goldberg did really into this century, into this contemporary period and really expand on that. And so there was such a need, you know, we didn't solve sickle cell disease. We didn't solve sickle cell retinopathy. So we still have to keep finding better treatments, better answers um, to help patients keep their sight. Um, so that's kind of how I, I saw the need in a lot of ways. And I'm really fascinated by how sickle cell affects the body, but how it also affects the eye because it's so variable among patients with different genotypes and different levels of, uh, you know, um, sickness from their sickle cell disease. Um, the eyes can be totally fine or the eyes can have a, a lot of risk of a high risk of vision loss. So it's just a fascinating disease. And so, you know, I'm trying to trying to solve it and advance it into this uh, contemporary age. I know you mentioned the Goldberg staging. What is that? Um, that is um, back in the 70s, Dr. Goldberg, he, he saw um, uh, many patients with sickle cell disease and followed them over time. And he was able to describe how the blood vessels change as the disease progresses. And so just to shortly summarize, you know, stage one, you can kind of see the blood vessels changing. And just as an aside, the eyes are really cool. This is why ophthalmology and retina particularly is such a neat field because it's the one place in the body we can actually look in and see actual blood vessels. We can see blood flowing through your arteries and veins. You know, with your eyeball inside your head, we can actually visualize this. And he followed these patients and saw, kind of observed how the blood vessels were changing over a period of time. So stage one, you kind of have these blocked blood vessels in the edges of the retina. Um, the retina is the nerve tissue in the eye. It's the back lining of the eye. It's, if you imagine a camera, it's like the film of the camera. So Dr. Goldberg said stage one is where you just have these little minor um, occlusions. And so I, I always compare this to sickle cell patients understand they get blood vessel flow problems and it causes crises because oxygen isn't getting to the tissues. In the retina, you get those, but you don't feel them because the retina doesn't have nerve fibers like that. So, but we can look in with our special imaging and we can see, oh, there's been some blood vessels that have been, 
you know, closed off. So stage one, the blood vessels just starting to close off. Person doesn't lose vision yet. They see fine. And most patients with sickle cell, fortunately, do see fine. So stage two is where you feel it, see these, uh, these loops, these changes um, as the blood vessels and the arteries and veins start to form these really special loops. Um, and it's something that happens when the retina doesn't get oxygen. It's the way the blood vessels change. And we can watch and observe these over time. The third stage is where we start to get worried. And that's where you have these abnormal new blood vessels grow. And it's called neovascularization. And it's the body's response to not getting enough oxygen. And you may say, oh, well, new blood vessels forming. That's a good thing, right? Um, it's not because these abnormal new blood vessels are bad. And they break and they bleed and they burst into the vision. And they can really cloud up the vision quite significantly. Um, stage four is where you do have hemorrhage into the eye. And that's when the person loses vision when you have cloudy vision because these blood vessels have burst. And then stage five is really what we want to try to avoid because the blood vessels have burst and they're growing so much, the abnormal new blood vessels are pulling on the retina. And that retina is supposed to be flat and smooth. And if the blood vessels pull it out of place, it can cause a detached retina. And that's a problem which we have to treat with surgery. So it ranges from stepwise progression from stage one to five, but the person doesn't really even notice vision loss until stage four. So summarizing all that, you want to catch it at stage three while there's still an opportunity to save the vision. And the best way to capture that at stage three is by having patients see their ophthalmologist every year for sickle cell patients? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to push forward in my research is trying to better define how to screen for sickle cell retinopathy. Um, right now, there are guidelines that state that after the age of 10 years old, you have, if you have sickle cell disease, the recommendations are to see um, a retina specialist for dilated eye exam. And now that's key. So it's not just, you know, going in, getting glasses, which is better one or two, that's fine, but you also need a good dilated eye exam. So after age 10, the recommendations are for the eye exam every one to two years. And again, that depends on what the level of sickle cell retinopathy there is. So if the, the retina specialist sees that there's some precursors for these abnormal blood vessels, they may say, ah, carefully see a little bit more closely because you need, um, you may need treatment or your blood vessels are progressing. So at least once a year, sometimes more frequently, depending on how uh, progressed the disease is. It's interesting that you say that because for me, I have sickle cell disease, SC, and I believe I started going to get my pupils dilated and my eyes dilated in middle school, but I didn't run into any issues until like a couple of years ago and I'm 33. So it's interesting that if I didn't continue going to um, get my eyes checked and get my pupils dilated, that there could have been a reason why they didn't catch, you know, um, the bleeding that was taking place in my eye. That's right. That's right. It's a very good example. And I'm glad you mentioned that because it is a very um, interesting thing about sickle cell disease. Your risk of vision loss from certain types of bleeding can definitely vary depending on what type of genotype of sickle cell disease you have. So if you have two copies of hemoglobin S, hemoglobin SS disease, or they call it, some of people just call that sickle cell anemia, then the individuals in that group tend to have more pain crises, more hospitalizations, chest, acute chest syndrome, um, issues with the kidney, issues with the, 
the breathing, uh, pulmonary hypertension, but oftentimes the eye disease isn't as prone to abnormal new blood vessels. Individuals with hemoglobin SC, it's almost the reverse. So it's very kind of this interesting switch. So a lot of times people with SC disease don't have as much of the pain crises and frequent hospitalizations. In fact, I've diagnosed sickle cell disease in the eye and people that haven't even known they've had it, you know, from their body because they, they feel fine. Oh, wow. But yeah. People who have sickle cell SC, sometimes you can look in the eye and see their risk of abnormal new blood vessels and progression of these uh, blood vessels is higher and more commonly seen than hemoglobin SS patients. So that's kind of one of these interesting things about it. And the other interesting thing I want to make sure that you're um, you know, our listenership knows, as you, you spoke very powerfully to this, is that usually when you are a kid, so we say recommend screening at age 10, but usually you won't see the eye and retina disease until adolescence, but it definitely has been shown to progress in somebody's, you know, adolescent teen years through their 30s. And then after age of 30, it kind of burns out. It's not quite as um, aggressive, but we really need to see those patients really closely um, throughout their teens, 20s, and 30s. You mentioned the different genotypes. Do you know why why there are issues that persist with SC um, instead of other genotypes? Yeah, really good question. And again, these this is um, to include the, the individuals with the beta thalassemia. They tend to sometimes behave more like SC patients too. Again, not as six, um, as many systemic morbidities like the, the history of the stroke, the pulmonary hypertension, but they do tend to get the... Um, they, you know, they tend to get um, abnormal new blood vessels just like patients with SC. So why is that? That is one of the big mysteries and, 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 and kind of um, puzzles that we have in sickle cell retinopathy. So my theory, and the theory is that people with SC disease have a higher hematocrit, meaning that their, they, their blood is thicker. So the blood is just thicker, um, it's higher blood viscosity. So because the blood is just thicker in hemoglobin SC, that it doesn't move through the blood vessels as uh, quickly and it allows um, some growth factors to be released when when the eye or the retina doesn't get a lot of blood vessel or doesn't get a lot of oxygen there's some signals that become released in the eye to make new blood vessels and again these blood vessels these new blood vessels are bad because they they encourage abnormal blood vessel growth so the signal this chemical gets released so my theory is that the blood vessel, the blood is thicker, the blood flow is slower, and it allows for more time for these abnormal uh, signals to go out to make these abnormal new blood vessels to grow. I know you mentioned that one of the common problems with um, seeing individuals with sickle cell disease is the blurriness in the eye. And that can ultimately lead to blindness. Are there any other complications that can be caused with sickle cell disease in the eye? Yes, absolutely. So sickle cell disease, unfortunately, kids can, can affect everything from your head to your toe. Um, it can also affect every part of the eye. So there, again, the retina is really the most commonly affected portion. Um, not only can there be abnormal new blood vessels grow and hemorrhage in the eye and retinal detachment, but sometimes there can be um, blockage of an artery just all of a sudden. And it's almost like what happens when you have a stroke, but you have loss of blood flow within one of the special arteries that you need to keep oxygen um, supplied to the retinal tissue. So um, patients with sickle cell disease are prone to having these occlusions or these blockages of their retinal arteries sometimes too. 
Um, so that's unfortunate. Sometimes it's very, um, it's very dangerous if a person with sickle cell disease has trauma. So if you have eye trauma with sickle cell disease, there's a risk for there being, there's bleeding in the eye. Um, whereas if a person didn't have sickle cell, it wouldn't be as big a deal and the blood just goes away on its own. But sometimes if the blood remains after trauma, it can drive the pressure up of the eye and that could cause really severe glaucoma. So it's something kind of unique to sickle cell disease that they don't really um, clear if there's trauma, the, they're at higher risk for uh, pressure increases and they're more at risk for losing vision from pressure increases in the eye. Do you have any preventative ways of eliminating trauma? Oh, that's a great question. So I'm a big fan of eye protection. Um, you know, so that is um, wearing even just sunglasses when you're out, when you're driving, um, you know, keeping the eyes covered, definitely wear prescription glasses if the doctor has recommended you wear them. But keeping the eye, if you don't need glasses, just keeping the eyes um, protected when you're out. So if you're out walking, if you're uh, definitely for any sports, especially particularly uh, sports that could be potentially um you know, involve contact like, um, you know, football or even basketball. We've seen patients get, you know, a elbow to the eye by accident. So I'm a big fan of things like sports goggles and sports protection for the eye. Um, you know, and um, even just out walking or driving, just keeping your sunglasses on. Um, you know, we want to try to avoid trauma at all costs, but, you know, you never know when something's going to happen. But I think that keeping the eyes protected with the glasses is a good step. You don't know what's impacting your eye until you wake up one morning and can't see out of one eye. And that's what happened to me. So learning these steps and also techniques that to be preventative is important. Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention is what are treatment options? Yeah. So another thing that's a little bit different from sickle cell and these abnormal new blood vessels grow growing which are our enemy. Those are the ones that break and bleed and cloud the vision. So the, I, the best thing is to try to, you know, catch them early. And if you catch them early, um, two main treatments are what we use. The main one in the old school standby is laser. And sometimes what laser does is it helps the abnormal new blood vessels shrink up and become less likely to burst and cause hemorrhage in the eye. Um, you know, um, so definitely we employ that most frequently for these abnormal new blood vessels. Now, uh, there are some other medications. I mentioned briefly that a situation happens where patients who have ischemia or a lack of oxygen to the retina, the retinas send out this chemical to encourage um, abnormal new blood vessel growth. And so we are doing sometimes injections in the eye. It sounds horrible, I know, but they're mostly well tolerated. People do well with them, but they're medicines we actually inject in the eye and they can reverse this chemical that promotes leakage and bleeding, and it can make these abnormal blood vessels shrink up pretty nicely. So um, I probably use a combination of those things, and then laser will be my first-line treatment. Um, you know, another condition, diabetes, individuals affected with diabetes can get these abnormal new blood vessels in the eye, but it's really dependent upon people who've had, you know, poor blood sugar over time. With sickle cell, it's very unusual. It's very different. You don't really, it, we can't really find a direct correlation between, oh, you are, you know, this is your sickle cell status. And, you know, by keeping your sickle cell status a certain way, then you're less likely to have eye complications. It just doesn't seem to be that that connection isn't quite as consistent. Um, I will say that there have been studies that um, 
confirm that people who've been prescribed hydroxyurea use have some, sometimes there's some, there's some signal that there may be some protective um, uh, effect of hydroxyurea for uh, retinal damage and retinal thinning over time. So my advice is definitely uh, take the advice of the hematologist, get a good hematologist who you trust, who is um, accessible and knowledgeable and knows about sickle cell disease. And if you're recommended to take hydroxyurea, if at all possible, I recommend you take it because there's a lot of benefits uh, for, for every part of your body and more and more researchers coming out that it is beneficial for the eye too. For laser treatment, is that process difficult? What does the patient have to um, do in order to prepare for treatment? And also, how long does it last? Well, it can vary. Um, you know, it, it is, I won't say that it's not, not it, can, it can be, it can be uncomfortable, I'll put it that way. So, so many patients tolerate the laser, no, no problems at all, don't have much discomfort from it. There are some patients who are um, a lot of pain with the laser and everything in between. And it's sometimes with sickle cell disease, um, there can always already be pain going on systemically, and you can be um, you can experience more intense pain with the laser procedure. Now that being said, there are ways to you know we give numbing drops, and you know we can take our time with the laser, and a lot of patients tolerate it. In fact, most patients say, okay, it's a little uncomfortable, but the worst thing people complain about with the laser is actually the light. So the light's super bright and people will say, oh, it's so bright. And it's, you know, it's, it's sometimes a little bit, um, you know, disconcerting because after the laser, you look away and you can't see very much. It's temporary, but it's almost like the light being bright for you're looking up at the sun, like when you're a kid. So it takes a little while for the vision to kind of fill back in. So all that is to say that laser is well tolerated. It can be uncomfortable, but it is doable. Um, there's nothing that I would say that the person needs to prepare for. Just have a driver with you because, you know, you may not feel as, uh, as, as, as much like driving yourself home. But that's, that's, I think laser is, um, you know, it's, it's not the most fun thing in the world to do, but it can be tolerable. And what about the process for um, the injections? Mm, yeah. So interestingly, the injections sound scary. And it does. I know, <laughs> it right? does. I know. And the idea it certainly is, but it's actually faster, a definitely faster process than the laser. Most people, so the process for the injections, you come in, you take our time, get the eye numb. Um, we use lots of medications to numb the eye, including numbing drops and numbing gels. And we really, you know, let those take their effect. And then once they take their effect, um, the people describe the injection as really just feeling more pressure than feeling pain. And most people describe it almost like uncomfortable, almost like you just got soap in your eye in the shower, a little uncomfortable and for a day or two. But afterward, most people feel like they go, you know, back to normal. So, you know, the injection sounds really, you know, kind of a scary prospect, <laughs> but interestingly enough, it's much quicker than the laser procedure. Now, the benefit of the injection procedure is that it's quicker, as I mentioned. It can get those abnormal new blood vessels to go away pretty quickly. It can get um, hemorrhage in the eye to clear a little bit more quickly, um, but they have to be repeated. So the injections aren't like a one-and-done kind of a thing. You have to repeat your injections periodically, kind of depending on how active the blood vessels are. Laser sometimes can be really long-lasting. I see some people that had laser you know, from Dr. Goldberg decades ago, and their retinas are still doing fine and holding steady. So laser is kind of like the old school tried and true treatment, and it can last a while. Um, 
through your lifetime. The injections are great. They're the newer treatment, but they have to be repeated and sometimes their effects wear off and you have to get them over the long term. But everybody's a little different. So for a, a patient that has sickle cell disease and they're having issues with their eye, to see someone that specializes in sickle cell or how do you find someone? <laughs> I think a start is, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have this, you know, this great center, um, you know, where we can, we have every specialist of every kind at, at our center. And um, I think starting with a hematologist to give a referral is a good idea. Um, you know, usually the hematologists know how closely sickle cell affects every part of the organ system. And the hematologist is great. Uh, it could affect every organ system in the body. And the hematologists are great resources to be able to refer you to those physicians that know your case the best or who deal with the most complications with patients with sickle cell. So I'm sure, you know, a hematologist who's worked with sickle cell patients, they know who does the sickle cell kidney care. They know who does the sickle cell neurology care. And similarly, they know the physicians that do, you know, most of the, the retina care. And um, so I think the best place to start would be with the hematologist asking for recommendations. Um, and, you know, if, if we're not near a hematology center or a place that has a large center, it's, it's perfectly fine to start with a really good ophthalmologist or an optometrist for a, a thorough dilated exam. So that's okay to start. Um, it's just when the person starts getting complications, that person has to know how to look for retinopathy and retinal complications and refer a patient with sickle cell disease promptly to a specialist. So I'm not saying that every person with sickle cell disease absolutely has to have a retina specialist, but if you have a retina specialist or access to a retina specialist, I recommend it. Or, you know, if you have a comprehensive ophthalmologist or optometrist who does a very thorough dilated exam, that person should be able to recognize sickle cell retinopathy and promptly refer for treatment um, if, uh, if there's any signs of uh, worrisome retinopathy. I know you discussed treatment options, um, but are there any options for a cure? That's another really key question. At this point, we don't have that. Um, you know, and one of the frustrating things about, you know, treating, treating patients with sickle cell retinopathy is that we realize we're seeing the disease kind of after it's been there a while. We're, we're treating downstream. We're trying to avoid, um, we're treating, the treatments that we have are trying to impact the neovascularization, the abnormal new blood vessels. But what would be amazing and a true breakthrough is to how do we prevent those blood vessels from starting? And one of the things we're looking at are some, um, what's the effect of some of the newer systemic medications for sickle cell disease. So there are some newer medications out that um, hydroxyurea was the, the thing that we had, the first FDA approved drug for sickle cell disease. And it's been like the, the, the granddaddy of all the medications in sickle cell disease for a long time. But recently there are some other medications that are on the market. And, you know, we're trying to also study how does this impact eye disease and does it prevent eye disease from, from either forming or if it forms, how do we prevent it from progressing? Now, um, one of the things that I am looking at, I'm fairly um, happy about our breakthroughs here is trying to screen patients for sickle cell disease and make it easier uh, for patients to be screened to detect precursors of disease. So what we've done is that we had a study going on where we put a, a special retinal camera 
in the hematologist clinic. And we um, had trained some um, hematology uh, team members to take retinal pictures. And then we have retina specialists evaluate the pictures and say whether or not there's retinopathy there that's worrisome or not and refer accordingly. So, you know, what we're trying to do more, we're not curing, unfortunately, yet. But what we're trying to do is pick a way to screen uh, people with sickle cell disease more carefully earlier on and find referable sickle cell retinopathy um, more quickly. I know you talked about a couple of research items that you've been working on and even looking at preventive ways for to prevent sickle cell issues within the eye. What are some of the research items that you're working on now and what's needed most to kind of support that work? Oh, sure. So, um, well, I am excited about the study that we just mentioned talking about, um, you know, trying to implement a way where when you have sickle cell disease, it's, it's, it's hard because you have all these different appointments. You've got to see the, you definitely see your hematologist, but then there's all these different specialists you see and, you know, if almost every organ system can be affected. So what I'm trying to do, and I'm pretty pleased with our progress, is being able to make that retina camera kind of part of standard of care. So when you go to your hematologist, you get your retinal photos. So that helps decrease some of the, you know, wait to get in to see a retina specialist or even waiting time within the clinic. So we're able to pick up patients who have uh, problems with retinopathy when we see them, but importantly, and get those patients in and treated, but importantly, we're able to rule out patients who don't have retinopathy that's worrisome and reassure those patients that they, they don't have the abnormal worrisome retinopathy. Um, so that should be coming out. We're writing up that paper, and that should be coming out in the next few months. And I'd like to see that really um, adopted and acknowledged. If that gets accepted in the, um, in the hematology community, I think that could change our sickle cell disease care model. It's like we bring the eye pictures to you in the hematologist's office, and then, you know, we can take it from there. Um, you know, another thing that I'm working on is – really trying to understand how patients with sickle cell disease develop, um, how the blood vessels develop. And we've found sickle cell disease, even small changes, even in kids as young as five years old in the retina. Um, again, it's not severe disease. These patients see fine, but I'm really fascinated with how it is it develops in the retina and how in these children, what other types of sickle cell uh, complications they have. So I'm looking at a series of children with sickle cell disease, evaluating the retinal blood flow, but also trying to look at other sorts of sickle cell disease markers like history of stroke, or we call them silent infarcts on their um, MRI, and other things like, you know, risk of lung problems or what the blood counts are. So really trying to figure out a connection between what we see in the eye and what we see in the, um, you know, the person risks of getting a stroke. So, you know, my question is, and I don't know the answer yet, I'm studying this, can I do an exam with my retinal equipment and my imaging and be able to get similar information from if the person had an MRI looking for abnormal blood flow or stroke? So people say sometimes the retinal circulation kind of mirrors the brain circulation. So I'm trying to look at children over time to be able to better explain, are there any similarities between abnormal blood flow in the retina and abnormal blood flow in their MRIs in the brain? And can we eventually use the MRI, the, uh, the, the, the retina scan 
in, uh, in place of or as a marker for a problem with the blood flow in the brain. So that's one of the things I'm working on. No, that's awesome. What is the best way for sickle cell patients to participate in studies such as the studies that you are doing or um, other studies regarding the eye? Uh, yeah, so I'm really excited. I've learned so much from patients who have been kind enough to participate in our studies. It's just amazing. Um, you know, I feel like it's an understudied disease. It's an underfunded disease. Um, you know, when you talk about other kind of genetic diseases that affect multi-organ systems, sickle cell is definitely, um, you know, not as funded or supported. So if, if, if patients want to participate in research studies, especially with retina, it's my expertise, I'm happy to have them contact me. I'm thrilled to, it's really honored to have people in my research studies because I learn so much and then I can help tell the next person with sickle cell disease more about what they have because I've learned from patients who've participated in research. So, you know, people who have sickle cell disease should ask their hematologist, maybe as a starter, are there, who are, are there retina specialists who are really studying sickle cell disease? And I'm happy to have anyone or examine anyone who has sickle cell disease and kind of go over, you know, um, any retinopathy studies that we're doing. And I'm really eager to, to, to build my research program, you know, with help from patients who have sickle cell disease. Do you have any words of wisdom um, for patients, particularly sickle cell patients, in reference to um, learning more about uh, retina, learning more about complications that happen with the eye, um, but also if there's any other information that you think they need to know? Yeah, I think the really big one is to... Um is to just know that the eyes are at risk and to be in tune and in touch and tied in with the healthcare system. It's one of the saddest things that you see is that I always say well, a person sees well until they don't. And it's, it's sad to see somebody not even know they had the risk for sickle cell um, complications in the eye and they didn't get their eyes checked. They never did. Maybe they never thought they had to, or when they were going to get their eyes checked, they just did a, you know, check for glasses, which is better, one or two. Um, that's fine to get the check for glasses, but you also have to have a detailed retina exam. So that's the that's the key um, to really just be tied into the to really be tied into the people who do the um, who who tied into the people who who were able to refer you if needed. So you know, my my thoughts are just be aware that you that you have to, you know, you have to know that even if you see well, you could potentially have sickle cell retinopathy that could be potentially dangerous to your vision. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's really annoying to have to go through all these visits and all these specialists, but the eyes are so key and so important. And if there is a worry sign, if there are worry signs for potential vision loss, it's important that we catch it. So please make sure we're getting our eyes checked at least annually. Um, you know, if you feel like you're not getting a, a care or answers like you like, um, please talk to your hematologist and say, well, is there anybody particularly in my area who specializes in sickle cell and the eye? And there are specialists, not a lot of us, but there are specialists like me through the, through the country that will, you know, that are interested in sickle cell retinopathy who are doing research trials. So, you know, just knowing that you need to, as you mentioned, you know, advocate for, for yourselves and knowing that there are potential complications from sickle cell in the eye and making sure that you are getting a thorough 
retinal checkup at least once a year. And, you know, for those um, families who have kiddos who have sickle cell disease, um, you know, I see kids as early as, you know, again, five years old. I don't mind. That's the age they can sit for the eye exam. And I really like to see kids that early because it kind of gets them in the habit of getting their eyes checked, get them, you know, it's kind of a pattern just once a year, check in with me. And if there's any abnormal blood vessels happening over time, I can catch it pretty early on. Do you see that common with uh, children that have sickle cell disease? It's not very common. You really have to watch as of like adolescence and the teen years into the 20s is when the abnormal blood vessels get a little bit more likely to progress. But you can see signs where there have been some just abnormal blood flow. And you could see that from a really early age. And again, it's not visually significant. So I don't want anybody who has sickle cell disease to think that they, you know, have, um, are going to lose their vision because a lot of times that's that most most people who have sickle cell disease actually see quite well. That's great, but there are just are some risk factors for vision loss that patients need to be aware of. So you can see signs that sickle cell has caused retina damage as early as you know age ages age five. But again, does that mean the person's going to lose vision? Absolutely not. It just means we need to just watch them over time and make sure they don't progress. This session has been super informative. I appreciate you coming on to the Sickle Cycle podcast. I'm grateful for your insight and I'm more grateful for you being my doctor to help me when I run into these eye issues that I didn't even know were possible. Oh, Charlotte, it's my pleasure, really. And uh, you can please feel free to, to, to give my, you know, my email, my contact information if you're readers or so your listeners have issues or questions about sickle cell or would like to come in and see me i'm happy to to take new patients thank you for listening to the sickle cycle podcast 